Effective hourly rate is a great metric. That's that's worth talking about. That is the amount that you make per hour. I sort of referenced it earlier. Most employees know what their wage is. That their hourly wage is their effective hourly rate, right? That's their profit. For a business owner, most of them don't know what their effective hourly rate, rate is, but it's revenue minus costs equals profit divided by the number of hours they worked is their effective hourly rate. For some of them, they're shocked when they do this. But it's really worth doing it by product line or service division. If you have a you know, three-tiered product line, you'll find one is really profitable and one sucks and one's probably average. Then you can make decisions. You're listening to The Growth Booth, the show focused on achieving lifestyle freedom through online businesses. Whether you're looking for step-by-step strategies to start building an online business, simple game plans to grow your business, or proven lifestyle freedom frameworks, you are in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the thousands of listeners already in growth mode. Adam Booth here, welcome to episode number 36 of The Growth Booth, where today I'm joined by someone who has served as a sounding board for some of my uh, hair-brained ideas, uh, a, a, a council of wisdom, and someone who I personally catch up with uh, at least every couple of weeks to share uh, business ideas and, and just how things are going. Uh, in general. So I've invited him along to the show today uh, and I'll introduce you to him in just a moment. Uh, some of you may know him. His name is James Shramko. Uh, he's done pretty much everything online, uh, including uh, having done around about 1,000 uh, podcast uh, episodes, uh, over 4 million uh, podcast downloads, uh, very successful businesses. And uh, he's he, like I say, he, he's he's really done pretty much everything you could imagine online. But what I really wanted to talk to James about in the time that we've got today is how we can earn more uh, and work less. And James, you've got a book called, I think it's called Work Less, Make More. Is it Work Less, Earn yep, More? Yeah, that's correct. Work Less, Make More. Uh, great uh, deal. You can pick that up at uh, Amazon or I guess you could get it over at James's website, which is jamesstramco.com. Uh, one of my favorite books. So definitely go and check that out. So where do we start? Where do we start if we want to work less and earn more? Essentially learning the idea of leverage. And um, if we have an online business, we have a lot of leverage available to us. The key elements are not doing everything yourself. Uh, So team becomes a big part of it. And that can apply to the household as well. I mean, literally having someone mow your lawns or cook food for you. If you've ever been to a restaurant, you already know that sometimes it's good to have someone else do all the manual labor and grow the food and you just turn up and do your bit, which is eat. Uh, You can do the same in business, which is great. Other things to uh, help you make more would be to identify all the tasks you have to do. Some of them are, are not equal. Right, some of them are more valuable than other things. So, if you can spend some time thinking about which of the tasks you're doing are going to have a greater outcome, and you focus more on those, you can leverage up the income that you're bringing in. Uh, and there are other aspects too, such as which business model you pursue. Some business models uh, are easier or more suited to your style, and also uh, can get paid more than than other business models. So, for example. If you had a shoe shine store and you're doing all the shoe shining, you, you sort of cap out at the number of people you could see in a day and you cap out at what the market will be happy to to bear for someone who wants to to 
um, pay you to shine their shoes. But if you have a digital product, now you could start to use things like advertising and you're essentially fulfilling with electrons. So there's no actual cap on how many ebooks you could sell, for example. Uh, or if you have a services business and then you're hiring team members to deliver the service, you can actually scale that up much better. So some business models are, are better than others. The ones I like generally are at higher price points than, than low ticket items. And I particularly like subscription model businesses where there's a recurring subscription. That could be if you're a service, you can put people on a retainer. If you're a deal maker, you might do deals where you get paid on percentage of performance. So when you can increase someone's business, you might get paid a percentage of revenue. Uh, you might also have a membership or information product business or a software business where people pay per month. And pretty much uh, everyone who's watching this or listening to this podcast would be paying a subscription of some kind, whether it's to Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, a phone company. Um, we're used to subscriptions and I really look for subscription elements because that the leverage on that is fantastic. Yeah, one of the places where we've got a subscription which is often overlooked is actually in physical products because we sell a, one of our brands has got a number of consumable products and people can buy them and just get them delivered over and over again. So you make that sale one time uh, and you get to reap the rewards and the profits from it over and over and over again. So totally agree with you there. Um, one of the things you mentioned a few moments ago, which I thought we could dive into a little bit more, is the fact that not all tasks in your business are created equal. And in your book, one of the things you talk about is the 64-4 rule, which is an expansion on the 80-20 rule. I guess it's applying the 80-20 rule to itself. So um, I think that's a, a really, really uh, interesting concept. How, how does someone go about identifying which are their, their most important tasks? Well, first, first step is to be aware of all the tasks you're actually doing. I would suggest some kind of task audit. I mean, literally write down everything you do for a while until you capture all uh, the tasks and identify how long you're spending on each task and see if you can pin an outcome to that. Like, is there a dollar outcome that comes from that task? And then that will start to help you organize tasks into which ones have a bigger payoff. Um, other things to look at might be which tasks do you not enjoy or which tasks are you not particularly good at? Uh, for example... I was doing my own bookkeeping for a number of years and even though I studied some accounting, I don't enjoy bookkeeping and I'm actually not that good at it. So that was one of the first things to go. The, the other sorts of things that really bog down business owners are customer support. So as you scale your business, you're going to get more customers and they're going to have questions. Even simple stuff like how do I log in or um, what's this uh, What's this name on my billing statement? <laughs> Well, how do I change my credit card because I've you know, lost my wallet? The, these little things uh, seemingly uh, seem inconsequential, but they could really suck up time. And that time could be better served on a high-level activity, such as for a business coach, it might be spending time with an actual customer. Uh, if you're in a, um, a sales or marketing type area, you could make significant revenue gains by making better sales, You know, getting on the phone to more customers or Skype or, or Zoom these days, I suppose they call it. Uh, and so of all the things you're doing, some of them just have bigger payoffs. Some of them are things that only you can do. So that, that'll put them into their own category. 
One of the ways that I'll do this with someone is actually have a big stack of post-it notes and we write down every single thing they do on a post-it note and we might use an Eisenhower matrix, which is a, it's a scale of important and urgent. And we might start identifying which things are actually really important and really urgent, uh, which things are really important but not that urgent, which things are not urgent or important. Those things should just be cut. Uh, and the, the profound thing about the 64-4 is that uh, it's, it's pretty much saying that 4% of the things you do end up getting you about two-thirds of the results you get. So that just means there's an incredible amount of wasted activity, a lot of noise happening uh, in most people's day-to-day. And if you look at studies like adults, uh, typically can't produce more than about three hours of effective output in a day. So a lot of people are droning, you know, being busy with eight or 10 or 12-hour days, banging their chest about how hard they work. But almost all of it's useless they only worked two or three hours, they could actually get the same amount of results if they stopped doing wasted activities. Yeah. One of the, uh, that was one of the big takeaways I had from a book by Cal Newport called uh, Deep Work, which is you really can't work for more than uh, a few hours a day at that um, incredibly high uh, level of, of output or flow or being in the zone. Um, so, it, you know, it always amazes me when I think back to that 64-4 rule. Imagine, for example, that you make, um, you know, $100,000 in a year and that involves working, uh, you know, a full-time uh, work week. Uh, you could make two-thirds of that or, you know, $64,000 by just working 4% of that work week which would just be you know a couple of hours a week something like that it's amazing when you really start breaking it down like that because i think it um allows you to start asking the question what would i rather do earn sixty four thousand dollars and work you know a couple of hours a week or earn a hundred thousand dollars and work 40 or 50 hours a week that's kind of a, a basic sort of dumbed down example but that's kind of the gist of of what we're we're doing here one um I wanted to mention one thing about the, the task audit that you mentioned and then uh, I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction here. Uh, the task audit, one way that I've done it in the past is with a spreadsheet and simply create a few different columns. Uh, in one column, put uh, down the, 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 the tasks that you're doing. Uh, in the second column, you know how long you spent on it. And then in the third column, if it's only something that you can do or if it's something that, that someone else can do. And I guess the fourth column would be the Eisenhower uh, hierarchy or, or matrix that, that you mentioned there. And if it's one of those things that's just not important or urgent, then delete it. Um, it also reminded me when you were talking about that of the old uh, do it, delete it or delegate it um, approach to you know dealing with a lot of tasks. So I, I really, really love that. What about teams? Now, um, I think uh, for what uh, we've spoken about in the past, you've run a pretty lean operation, uh, which seems to work really, really well for you. Um, in our business, we just did an organizational structure and I was blown away to see that we've got 100 people on the payroll. Um, it's more than um, I would probably like to have, but um, it, it works for our business. So um Love to get your thought about about teams and and how you sort of approach that. Well, one way to think about team is um, they are a, a resource you can buy that um, they will they will agree to an amount 
uh, on an ongoing basis and they have instalment plans, which is basically wages, right? So as a business owner, um, we can get this resource and we can basically buy people's time to spend doing things that we would like them to do. And they will generally be the things that uh, we, we can't get to ourselves. Like we have limited capacity, right? Even if I wanted to, I could probably only work a couple of hundred hours uh, a month, right? Because I'll run out of capacity. But if I hire 10 people, now I have 2,000 hours that I can use. Uh, and so I built a service business off the back of that. At one point, I had 65 people in my virtual team. And uh, in real life, I had 100 people working for an actual business, a motor dealership, a Mercedes-Benz dealership, and a smash repairer. Uh, and that was quite a complicated thing. I didn't, didn't think I wanted to have a team after that. But these days, you can actually have a small team uh, if you want a small business. That, and to give you a perspective, for a business that's doing $1 or $2 million a year, you can have a small team of five or six people. And they can be all virtual. They can just be at their own home in their own country doing their own things um, in their own time. And then you do your things. So we're a collaboration. The other good thing about it, and, and a nice way to think about it, in your case, if you have 100 people you're employing, that's 100 people you're responsible for, which is uh, a, it can be a burden. And it's obviously for someone who has values, it's something you, you take uh, great stock in. I remember there was a recent LinkedIn post that went viral where the CEO was crying. Uh, because he had to let two or three people go. Uh, yeah. it, it was probably a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a piss take, <laughs> I suppose. Like it, it is a huge responsibility, but also people choose to work or to have their own business. Not everyone can have their own business. It's probably not suitable for everyone. But if you do take on that responsibility, you're actually helping 100 people, like you're providing opportunity for them and you're able to create value in their lives and you're also paying they're also paying taxes and providing for the you know the ecosystem schools and roads and police forces and things like that so it's a really nice thing to do if you're a responsible employer but the best thing is uh, if you get the team part right you only do the things you want to do or that you're good at and then you don't have to do anything else so in my business my team come along and do all the stuff I don't want to do, which is websites, emails, um, editing, uh, bookkeeping, support. Uh, and I just do the bits I want, which is to talk to uh, my students and to do the occasional podcast, as you mentioned before. Today's show is brought to you by the Blueprint Academy, a coaching service that I've been providing for about eight years now. If you're interested in getting one-on-one coaching from me and my team of experts, as well as being able to leverage the resources and infrastructure that I've got in my business, then head over to thegrowthbooth.com forward slash academy to get all the details. I'm passionate about helping people build businesses online, and this is where I can help you. So again, head over to that link, thegrowthbooth.com forward slash academy, and find out how we can help you at the Blueprint Academy today. I think it, it varies a lot as well on the type of business that you have. So in our physical product business, you know, our products are in over 25,000 stores in the United States now. Um, we do millions of dollars online, millions of dollars offline. And that's all done with a core team of probably six or seven people. Um, now we do, uh, you know, also outsource some things like product inspection. We've got an office of our own in, in China and uh, different bits and pieces there. But 
it's a remarkably lean operation for the size of business that it is. But then there are other businesses that we've got which you know could could hire. 20 or 30 people in one business. A couple of examples is um, in a software startup um, that we've got, you know, we've got you know 15 different um, developers doing different things and then also a good number of support staff as well. So I think uh, at least in my mind, um, you know, it it's, it's all relative and it's business dependent, uh, but it's good to think strategically when you are hiring people because, it's amazing the kind of difference that you can get when you hire uh, the right kind of people. If I have to think about the best hires that I've made over the past couple of years, one would certainly be uh, my personal assistant uh, because he is absolutely amazing and takes a huge, enormous weight off my shoulders. Um, we've recently done some restructuring and we've now got what you could probably call like a chief outsourcing officer and his responsibility is really managing a lot of our development team and that's been absolutely transformational for us um, putting a formal CMO chief marketing officer in place that can uh, sort of live across different businesses that we've got has been um, a huge step forward and also recently within the past few months something that we've done is we've created um, a new role called a, a chief customer officer all of these all of these roles have got uh, impressive names but ultimately what the chief customer officer does is look after customers across all the different businesses and different products that we've got and it's also streamlined through one system whereas previously each product had its own support team we still have a lot of the same resources but it's just streamlined now through one system and it makes us more efficient and, and much more effective um, so Continuing down that idea of key hires, one of the questions I had for you was if you were just starting out again uh, and understanding that it would be different depending on which business you would do, but what would you look at hiring or outsourcing first? Well, again, I'd, I'd have a look at what I'm doing. Um, when I started my business, I did everything. And so, yeah, what am I not good at? What do I hate? Um, what's easy to find. There's some roles that are much easier to find. It's very easy to find a general virtual assistant who you can train. It's uh, really easy to get people to fulfill support uh, and content type activities, editing, publishing, website activities. All of these things are pretty easy. The harder ones is where you might start crossing over between internal to going to an external supplier. You might get a, a professional service company who specializes in a particular thing, like I'm talking about top-end design, top-end copywriting, top-end search engine optimization. Some of these things become more specialized, so they're going to be harder for you to hire an actual individual. You might get a service company or um, there's this whole rise of fractional roles, and fractional just means part-time. So uh, I've got a few partners, for example, who provide fractional services. One is doing frac fractional director of operations, so rather than have to hire a whole person to run your team, your people and your systems, which is what a lot of visionary creators are not good at and don't want to do, um, you can just hire this guy to come in part-time to do meetings and to see what systems you've got and to organize your people. And you're paying a fraction of what you would have to pay full-time. So these hybrid roles are popping up and they, they're the same for, there's um, same fractional marketers, fractional operators, fractional accounting. Um 
yeah, accounting, we hired a CFO a few years ago, and when we were looking for that person, one of the options we looked at was, was fractional. It's actually a, a really, really interesting idea, especially um, for startups. Uh, it's just amazing exactly. nowadays. I mean, you don't have a huge budget. I mean, it's, it's a chicken and an egg, right? Until your business is going really well and you've got a lot of money to pay all these great roles, the, the big objection you get is, oh, but I can't afford this. Right. Um, but what I really encourage people to do is disassociate yourself from the time equals money equation. We have to get away from that. If you can focus on your offer that converts, and I really push this in my book, Work Less, Make More, the offer that converts is the secret that opens up the door. As soon as you can find an offer that people want to pay you for, then I would quickly assemble the team that is involved in fulfilling that. So fulfillment is really the big secret. If you can build capacity to deliver, then I think the marketing is generally the easier part of the equation to solve. So I would that's why I, I built people to help me deliver uh, service, you know, in terms of customer support. Um, help me get that website going. Help me get my content on the internet, organize it, structure it, you know, publish it, email people about it. That's turning on the marketing. And if you can do this, you know, I'm really uh, fortunate in a way that I've found a good recurring front-end routine that matches a great recurring back-end payment system. And so those two things paired together have created a beautiful business for me. Um, that's an ongoing podcast front-end. And my team, of the six people I have in my business, most of them are involved in just getting that front-end marketing machine organized and then they service the back end, all the admin and tech stuff. So it just frees me up to just create content and fulfill on the coaching. That's my two main jobs in my business. But we get to choose what we do. The other thing that's essential is to ring fence or partition off or um, time box or whatever you want to call it, slices of your week where that's where you do your work and then other parts of the week are where you never do work. So you have that time off to think and to, to whatever you want to do, meditate, uh, spend time so, with your family, do a, do a hobby. This will sound foreign to most workaholics, but I can assure you uh, almost all the workaholics that I've worked with who have big, impressive revenues are usually making less per hour than a lean, well-structured business where the owner's working maybe a quarter of the time. Yeah, I think it's a, a trap that so many people um, fall into. And coming back to that 64-4 rule that we were talking about that you also dive into a lot in your book there, uh, you know, most businesses that I see will earn, you know, 64% of their profits from 4% of the products or, eighty, you know, the 80% exactly. rule as well. Especially e-commerce stores. It's one of the first activities I do. Like to go beyond um, – Effective hourly rate, right? Effective hourly rate is a great metric. That's that's worth talking about. That is the amount that you make per hour. I sort of referenced it earlier. Most employees know what their wage is. That their hourly wage is their effective hourly rate, right? That's their profit. For a business owner, most of them don't know what their effective hourly rate, rate is, but it's revenue minus costs equals profit divided by the number of hours they worked is their effective hourly rate. For some of them, they're shocked when they do this. But it's really worth doing it by product line or service division. If you have a you know, three-tiered product line, you'll find one is really profitable and one sucks and one's probably average. Then you can make decisions. So I like to, to get the data, 
make decisions, and then do. That's my sort of three Ds approach. Get your data. When you get the data, you find out, okay, I'm going to make some decisions here. I'm going to stop fulfilling this product. I don't want this product anymore, or I've got to fix this product to make it better. Uh, often it's better just to stop a product. But if you have an um, e-commerce store and you have all these line items, we call them SKUs, SKUs, some of them are just going to be sucking up your uh, budget to buy and procure and store, but they never sell. They're a waste of time. If you didn't have them, you'd automatically be more profitable. That is mind-blowing, isn't it? If you just delete the bottom 20% performers of your stock, your product line, your team members, then you will actually instantly become more profitable with no change in the amount of energy or effort that you're putting in. Yeah, and that, that's without even taking into consideration the fact that you will now all of a sudden be so much more uh, focused and able to oh, freeze up better, better energy into the you know the resources that really are making you money. Look, um, it, it'd be I like am, if you were carrying a backpack and there were things in the backpack that you never used. Let's say you were traveling around the world and in your backpack you took a barbell, right, and you never used it once. If you just took the barbell out of your backpack and left your undies and your laptop in there. You've got a lighter backpack. It's easy to carry around. It's no net difference in terms of whether you use the barbell or not, but the outcome is so much better just by removing and deleting. Yeah, yeah, I love I love that. And I think it's a good way to wrap up this uh, episode here. So um, thank you so much for being on here today, James. I definitely want to do uh, maybe a second and even a third uh, iteration of uh, an episode with you because I think there's so much more that we could uh, dive into but um, I think uh, for right now it would be great if people uh, want to grab a copy of your book which they can find on Amazon or like I say by heading over to jamesramco.com you'll be able to find a lot more about some of the topics that we've spoken about uh, here today in this book and if you're watching the video version you'll be able to see uh, what the book looks like uh, on the screen uh, right now you can see that there so uh, James thank you for taking some time out of your day here always uh, great to jump on these calls uh, with you and look forward and hope that we can do it again soon I'd love to do that and thank you so much so quick summary make sure you um, start outsourcing your tasks to team choose a good business model that is going to help you get the most leverage possible and carve out time for yourself so that you have time to think about your next moves and uh, recognize that not everything should be treated equally. Some things are just far more valuable than others. And ditch that barbell from your backpack next time. <laughs> Get rid of the barbell. Terrific. There's no point carrying that around the world. The dumbbell or whatever it is that you got in there. All right, guys, thanks uh, for listening here. We will see you on the next episode of The Go.